Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is our last sermon in our teaching series we're calling Faith Over Fear. So far we've talked about uh, 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 the storms of life, like how to navigate the storms of life, dealing with anxiety, waiting when God seems silent. Uh, and then last week on Easter Sunday, we talked about hoping in the resurrection, just the difference that the resurrection makes when we're dealing with fear and concern and anxiety. And this morning, I want us to look at the renewal of all things. What does it look like to rejoice in the renewal of all things? We're going to dig into one of the last chapters of the Bible to see really where history is headed. And so before we do that, let me pray for us uh, and then we can get started. Uh, Lord God, I thank you uh, just for this opportunity to to be together. As we conclude our Faith Over Fear series, uh, I pray, God, uh, that you would just help us to uh, understand and to see the beauty and the glory of your kingdom, the reality that we long for. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to live in light of that, to live in light of that out of our love for Christ in whose name we pray, amen. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn to Revelation chapter 21, one of the last chapters of the Bible, so it's gonna be at the very end. Uh, Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 21. And um, here's one I want us to talk about. I wanna talk about hope in the kingdom of God, hope in the kingdom of God. I want us to peer into the future from God's revelation in scriptures to see uh, what we call the renewal of all things, the new heaven, the new earth that we all long for and will one day see hopefully sooner than later. Uh, But the reason I wanna talk about this is because where you place your hope in will inform your experience of joy and your purpose in life. Where you place your hope in will inform your experience of joy and define your purpose in life. 
Okay, so we just celebrated uh, the resurrection on Easter Sunday, just this last Sunday. And what I want you to see this morning is that the resurrection is not so much the, the end of the story for Jesus, but in many ways, it's the beginning. It's this new world and this new life that you and I are invited to participate in, invited to belong to. And so we're going to see that in the book of Revelation. And it might be helpful for you to know that this book, this, this book is, is, is written, the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. It was written by the Apostle John during a time of persecution. Uh, and so he was exiled to this island called Patmos and he was stuck there. So he was like Tom Hanks in Castaway. <laughs> and, uh, and, and John is writing on that island to a community of Christians who are suffering because the times are strange. They're scary and they're uncertain. And on the island, John receives this vision from the Lord. And it's through that vision that John writes this letter. And he, and it's in the vision that he is actually being, uh, starts to explain uh, the suffering of the, that the church was going through. But he also starts to point forward to uh, the day when all evil and all that is wrong and all that they're suffering through will go away. And so here's what I want us to see in Revelation 21, these first several verses. Uh, I want us to look at uh, first just the reality and the fact that God renews. The fact that everything God touches, he's renewing. And then I want us to see how God renews. We're going to uh, specifically look at a few ways that God renews. And lastly, let's just talk about just the difference that this makes for us today. And so let's look at our first point, that God renews. Uh, God renews. I want you to read Revelation 21, the first several verses with me, uh, up through verse 7. Now keep in mind that the, the Christians that are receiving this word from John's pen are going through strange times. They're going through a season of uncertainty. And at this moment in Revelation 21, uh, uh, John starts to unpack this vision that he receives from the Lord. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Writing this down, or write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So here's the idea. 
And from the first few chapters of the Bible, we know that when God created everything, it was good, it was perfect, it was beautiful. But the world as it is right now does not look like it did back then, does it? No, something has gone horribly wrong. The universe that we live in is a Genesis 3 uh, tainted universe. You know what happened in Genesis 3? Humanity polluted God's design with the stain of sin. And so now the cosmos is broken and busted up. There's death and there's mourning, there's suffering and there's tears, fears, anxieties. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and uh, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So in other words, Paul in Romans 8, he's saying the world is not how it was originally designed to be. And somehow creation can feel it. Creation can feel it and it groans because of it. It aches. It longs to be free from its suffering. And so every earthquake, every hurricane, every pandemic is part of this growing, groaning. I want you to get a really clear picture of this. This, this, this word for groaning uh, in Romans 8, it's this Greek word, uh, sustenazo. Sustenazo, it it means groaning together. Now, this is the only place in all the New Testament that you actually see this Greek word. But you know where else we see it In, in early first century writings? We see it when it's describing the groanings on a battlefield, like in a war. If you ever talk to a war veteran, a lot of them will say that the most unsettling moments for them are not so much when when they're in the crossfire and there's all these things just blowing up around you, uh, but the most unsettling and unforgettable moments for them are, are, are the sounds that they hear when the battle ends, when the smoke clears and the loud noises and explosions are over and the only sound you hear is the groanings of people who are left wounded and laying there on the ground. They're groaning because they're hurt. They're groaning because uh, they see their, their body parts just like lying on the ground, like across the road from them. They're wounded and they're groaning for help, for hope, because they just, they don't want to bleed out. They don't want to die. They don't want to be stuck in that state. Now that's the vivid picture that we have here of creation. When sin entered the world, when evil invaded the cosmos, and the cosmos was broken because of it, it started to groan. Romans 8 says creation groans because of that. 
Now, this whole idea of creation groaning is fascinating to us. In science, we see this in what's called the second law of, of thermodynamics. It tells us that the universe as we know it is slow, slowly deteriorating. It's breaking down. Creation is actually not evolving or progressing. It's deteriorating. It's why our bodies break down, right? So like I'm 36 years old now. I, I I, I, I get this. I get this whole deteriorating feeling. Like I can no longer enjoy a whole pizza. Like I have to now feel it for a few days. My body is not what it, it does not work the way it, it used to. It's breaking down. One of the things I love about the scriptures is just how it's totally honest on this topic. It's just honest about the topic of suffering and groaning and longing. It doesn't try to hide the fact that life is hard and that the world is sometimes a mess. Like the Bible just owns that. It owns the groaning. And like the rest of Romans 8, it invites us to pray and to trust God in the midst of it. Now, Karl Marx, he often accused religion of being like the opiate of the masses is what he called it. Like it's a drug that distracts us from the pains of the world. But this text shows us that the gospel isn't so much a distraction from the pain. It acknowledges the pain. And God steps into it with us. You see, four times actually in Revelation chapter 21, it says that God is making things new. In, in verse 1, it says that the heavens and the earth are new. In verse 2, it talks about a new city. And then in verse 5, he says, all things are being made new. Now, the Greek word for new that's being used there four times is the word kainos. Kainos. And, 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 what, and that word kainos is not about like a newness of time, which is how most of us use it. Like the other day, a friend said, "Like, hey, are those new shoes uh, to me?" Because she, you know, she thought, "Like, oh, those shoes that I have never seen them before—they look new." And so that's like a, a newness in in time. Like you haven't had those shoes for very long. Uh, but the newness being used here is a newness, really, of of quality. It's a new quality, almost like a freshness to it. And so the picture that we have in the Bible is that in God things become newer and fresher and better. But apart from God, things will deteriorate. Here's a picture of this, an example. I saw probably like the nastiest thing uh, that I've ever seen on Twitter the other day. Uh, some dude, like I think he's a journalist, he, he found this can of Chef Boyardee Spider-Man pasta uh, in his parents' cupboard from like 1990, all right? And he posted a picture of the can uh, showing the date, uh, the, like the, the expiration date was sometime in like 1990. Uh, and then he documents... He starts to take pictures and video documenting him opening the can until where you eventually see like what's in, inside the, the can. And dude, it was gross looking. It was nasty. And this picture, it went viral. Like that's when you know quarantine is a sad place. It's when like tweets of spy, of old Spider-Man pasta and documentaries about Tiger Kings like start to go viral. Now, just to be clear, I'm not hating on those. Like I watched a documentary too. Uh, but my, my point is, 
everything deteriorates at some point. Like even refrigeration will preserve things to a degree, but it'll still eventually go bad. In a world that is broken by sin, things will deteriorate. Even our souls deteriorate. Creation deteriorates. That's why it groans. But with God, when God gets involved, the opposite thing thing happens. When God gets involved, he starts to bring it back to what he originally intended. And so if you are in Christ, then things will get newer. Things will get better. They'll get fresher and truer and more beautiful. I want you to look at verse 1. Again, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, at first glance, that verse might be like a bummer to you. Like that might mean like, so what? Does that mean like there's no more beaches? Uh, does that mean there's no more surfing or water sports in the new heaven or new earth? But when you actually start to, to read the, 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 the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, what you see is that uh, the sea was always a, a metaphor. It was an image that was used for the chaos of the world. It was used for the sufferings of this life. Like the surging sea was an image of suffering. It represented the storms of life that we talked about a few weeks ago. And so this text is saying like the storms of life will be no more. And look further in, 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 in uh, verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know where your heart's at this morning or how this pandemic is affecting you, but I want you to, to hear me out on this. This, this verse preaches the good news to us that our suffering is temporary. Our suffering is temporary. Now, while I can't promise that your trials will end today, I can promise you that the Lord of the universe is going to come for you. He's going to come for you in Christ. He's going to come for his creation and say, I am making all things new. Our suffering, our present suffering is just temporary. It's not eternal. But our hope is in Christ, and that is eternal. And it gets better and newer over time. So number two, I want you to see, I want us to talk about how God renews us. How God renews us. First, in verse two, we see that God renews us spiritually. It says, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, the New Jerusalem, when the Bible uses that phrase, the New Jerusalem, it's actually talking about the church throughout the ages. And so the image here is, is, is one where the church has been prepared and beautified for her husband, Jesus Christ. Do you know why wedding dresses are, are always white, why they're typically white? It's because of verses just like this. In passages of scripture like Revelation 19 and other places like that, uh, where, where God gives us this analogy where he says, I will be a, a husband to my people uh, and, and, and my, they will be like my bride. 
and his bride, the church, is always presented in these passages in a splendor and a purity that would make the angels blush. Now, how do we get that purity? How do we get that spiritual purity as God's people? It's by being washed clean of our sins by the blood of Jesus. You see, when, when, when the blood of Jesus is, when his payment, uh, the cost of his blood is counted towards our account, we are made clean, spiritually clean. We're made beautiful. We're, we're no more shame, nothing to hide because we've been saved. And so this moment being described here is the climax of the biblical narrative. It's the point where the brokenness of the world starts to wither away and the people of the Lord are raised up to glory and placed in a new creation where we can be with our Lord forever. Next, we see that God renews us relationally. Check this out in verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, you know, you know what that is? That's family talk. That language he's using is family talk. It reminds us that, that in Jesus, we are part of a family, a forever family. That if you are in Christ, you've been loved by God and adopted into his family. Now, I want you to think about those words. When God says, I will be their God, think about that personally. When he says, I will be your God. I don't want you to miss the wonder of those words. I will be your God. That is covenantal language. It's this idea that uh, the most intimate and covenantal human relationship there is, like marriage, is meant to be uh, to communicate just the kind of ideal love and relationship that God will enjoy with his people. It's a beautiful kind of relationship. I love the way the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, puts this when he says, This is the masterpiece of all the promises. Its enjoyment makes a heaven below and will make a heaven above. Dwell on this, he says. Dwell in the light of your Lord and let your soul be always ravished with his love. Get out the marrow and fatness that this portion yields you. In other words, feast on this wonderful truth. He says, live up to your privileges and rejoice with unspeakable joy. I love that. You see, verse 3 and verse 4 here are cause for great joy. To hear the Lord say, I will be your God. These verses tell us that God is committed to being with us, to being relationally renewed with us. You see that in Christ, he removed all the barriers between us and him. And so if you feel any tension in your life today, maybe something that's laying down your faith, like uh, maybe a sin that you're struggling with, or just a disappointment that you're perhaps frustrated by, then let these verses encourage you 
that God is going to dwell with you and he's going to comfort you and wipe those tears away and protect you from any future pain. I want you to look at the third way God renews us. He renews us physically. Now, this is actually something that a lot of us miss because our views of heaven and the afterlife tend to be more uh, shaped by and informed by like ancient Greek art. Uh, where where the picture is one where it's it's kind of ethereal and flowy and spiritual in the sky rather than what the scriptures say, which is that heaven in the afterlife is a very physical reality. It's a very physical reality. Like culturally, uh, the most popular view of the afterlife is almost like this cartoon view of heaven, right? Where maybe you're like this ghost-like figure or you're shaped like a baby and you have like these wings uh, and you're just hanging out on this big fluffy cotton ball playing the harp forever and ever. Uh, Let's just be honest, that's no one's goals for the afterlife, right? Like it actually sounds quite hellish. The Bible teaches us though, that after the second coming, Jesus is going to bring the new heavens and the new earth down. The afterlife is a physical reality that Jesus is going to bring. Now, there's all kinds of debate about how this, the details of this will actually work out, but one thing is clear is that if you are in Christ, then you will spend forever with Jesus and with Jesus's family, the church, in your physical body, in a physical world, in a physical city with a physical garden, and we'll get to feast and drink and sing and dance and enjoy all of the physical activities that we enjoy here to like to the nth degree. Verse 1 says that the new heavens and the new earth are going to come down. Verse 4 says that God will wipe away the tears from our faces. The, the, the future, our future reality is an embodied reality. It's a physical reality. I want you to hear the way the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts this. He's done a lot of scholarly work on the resurrection. Here's what he says. He says, to speak of the second coming is to speak of God's whole new world envisaged in Revelation 20 to 21 or Romans 8 and of Jesus at the middle of it and ministering God's just, wise, and healing rule. God will do for the whole cosmos in the end what he did for Jesus at Easter. The risen Jesus, remember, is the prototype of the new creation. In other words, he's saying that in the same way that Jesus rose from the grave and through the resurrection, all creation in a similar way will be made new. We will be made new. When we die, like our bodies go into the ground and our souls go to heaven where where we can be with Christ in perfect uh, holiness. That's what theologians call the intermediate state. But eventually there's going to come a time at the second coming, at the end of all time, where we have this final eternal state where the new heavens and the new earth will come down, where our souls will be reunited with our bodies and we'll be given new, resurrected, glorified souls and glorified bodies. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And here's what's great about that. Glorified bodies don't 
get sick. Glorified bodies don't wear down. They don't get cancer. They don't sin. They don't die. We won't have knee pain. We won't have migraines. We won't have back issues. And in our resurrected glorified bodies, we will dwell with God and with each other physically in the new heavens and the new earth the way that it was meant to be. Citizens of a new Eden as new creations in Christ. That's the picture we have in the scriptures. That's what this verse is telling us. It's this ideal world that we're made for. The one that was lost in Genesis 3 has now come to us as a gift. Not by our innovation, but by God's grace. For centuries and generations, we've been trying to create these utopias and these cities, trying to create the world as, as God intended it, but it just ends up causing pain and suffering and oppression. Uh, but this city, this new reality will not come by our, by our innovation. It'll come by God's grace, by his power. Next time you open up your Bible, I want you to see the beauty of this, how the last uh, two chapters of the Bible are in many ways a return to the first two, to the Garden of Eden, to where humanity lived in perfect harmony with God. That's what we're returning back to. C.S. Lewis, he reflects on this really beautifully in uh, his on this idea of the new heavens and the new earth in uh, the last of his Chronicle of Narnia's book. Uh, it's called The Last Battle. And there's a scene in The Last Battle where Narnia has come to an end. And if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that C.S. Lewis in many ways intended this book series to be sort of an allegory of the Christian faith. And there's a scene at the end of the, at the, end of the story in the last book where Narnia has come to an end. And all the characters are really sad. Lucy's sad, uh, and, and she's sad about it at first, but then she starts to realize that a new Narnia has come, that a new Narnia is coming in. And I love the way that Lewis describes this new Narnia. This character, uh, Lord Diggory, is comforting Lucy, and he says, the Narnia you're thinking of was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia which has always been here and always will be here. Just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. The new Narnia was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn, who's one of the other characters, it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. 
I love that. The reason we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. It's this idea where the, that, that, that tells us the reason that we love things on this earth, like today, the reason that we love things on this earth that we experience is just because they're a foretaste, a picture, a shadow of a greater, more beautiful, more newer reality uh, that we will one day experience on the other side. I just love the way that, that Lewis paints that picture for us. It sure beats sitting on a cotton ball and playing the harp all day, right? And so now I want us to talk about, uh, lastly, uh, number three, what difference this makes for us today. What difference does this, this make for us today? Read the next few verses. He says in verse five, <clears throat> Read the next few verses now. It says in verse five, Now he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's like God is telling John right here, hey, write this down because these people are going to need it and they can trust it. You have my word. And he continues in verse six. He says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He says, it is done, which is a way of saying, it is finished. This is good is done. It will happen. Where else have you heard God say, it is finished? Where else have you heard God say, it is finished? Those were the words of Jesus on the cross. His shed blood has enough value to secure this inheritance for you. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is a way of saying, I am the first and the last. He's the one who created all things, who started it all, and he's the one that has the power to bring it to pass, to bring it to fruition and completion in the day of Christ. Now, there's also still a sense in which this reality is something that we can see and taste today. He doesn't say, I will make things new. He says, I am making all things new. And so if you're a grammar nerd, you know that this is called the progressive present. The progressive present, that means that this action verb, making all things new, it, it, that, that uh, this action verb has a present but an ongoing result. It's a way of the Lord saying, hey, look, I'm just getting started. I'm making all things new. Think of it this way. Like my kids... They love to go to Costco. I know not many of us love to go to Costco right now, but this is like pre-pandemic, all right? So my kids, we don't take them there now. My kids, they love going to Costco. They call it Snackland, right? And you can probably guess why they call it Snackland. It's because of all the free samplers that they give away out in the back, right? Uh, all these free samplers, like every few, few yards, it's like they're just giving you free snacks. And so they call it Snackland. Now, what is a sampler at Costco? It's a, it's a foretaste of a real thing, right? It's not the actual meal. They're just giving you a teaser, a tease, a foretaste of what you can get, of what's to come. It's still real. The sampler is still real. It's still delicious. You can still touch it and smell it and taste it and eat it. It still has some substance to it. 
But the point of the sampler is to point to a greater substance, to point you to the whole meal. In the same way, today, you can experience the grace of God, salvation in Christ, uh, the presence of the Spirit, and a new life. But it's still just a foretaste of a greater reality, of a newer reality, and a fresher reality, the renewal of all things, the future that we all long and hope for and will one day see. Now, if you believe in this, You know what difference that'll make? It'll give you a deep-seated joy. It'll give you a joy that helps you endure through suffering. It'll give you a joy that'll help you endure through a pandemic, that'll help you deal with the longings of your own heart. Man, once you get a grasp of, a vision for, just the new heavens and the new earth and what it means to have to live in a renewed earth to have a renewed body in a renewed city to be present physically with our lord jesus christ that will bring the wearied heart a deep seated joy but it also define your purpose in life It'll define your purpose in life. It'll encourage you to grow in a holiness because you're clinging to the reality that God is making me new. It'll help you grow in abiding in, in Christ uh, because you know that he is renewing your, your relationship with God. We're being renewed spiritually. We're being renewed relationally. And we will one day be renewed physically. And that encourages us to participate, to serve others on mission, to share the gospel, right? Like, think about it. Like, why, why do we share the gospel? Why do we love others? Like, love, love your neighbors, you love yourself. If this is the only, if this is all that there is, right? If there's no afterlife, if there's no renewal of all things, if there's no presence and reunion with God at the end of all time, then like, why love people? Why serve people? Why, why, why not just eat, drink, be merry, uh, and then die? The reason we long for purpose and for mission and to make a difference in this world is because we're made for it. Because this world is not all that there is. This life is not all that we have. And so grasping the truer and better and fresher reality uh, will cause us to serve others on mission. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, people who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for for that new world in the present. Let's bank on that, you guys. Let's commit ourselves to banking on the promise of Jesus who says, I am making all things new. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.